with ease. Miguel Aziz's first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. A hectic international break on the brink of one of the most hectic months in Arsenal's history. Nine league matches, I'm sorry, nine matches, all competitions coming up in the month of October, starting out with a North London derby, Liverpool a week later, multiple Europa League games. But let's start first and foremost with the international break and with our very own Hale-Lens finest, Bukayo Saka, making the difference for England and proving why he has to be the right wing of choice for Gareth Southgate at the World Cup. There just is no other option. Saka in their first match for England, 72 minutes at left wing back in a 1-0 loss to Italy, capping off what was just a horrific run of games for England, not scoring from open play for nearly 500 minutes. Saka fine in this match, 16 of 16 passing, a key pass. He won two ground duels and two tackles, but obviously not involved enough. Wasted his talent playing at left wing back, obviously a place where he broke into the Arsenal first team, but not a place where he's played in a long time, and the way his game's developed makes no sense for him to play there. Meanwhile, he's forced there by Southgate in a match where England show pretty much no threat. Saka then benched for the next match with Germany as England go down 2-0 early on, but comes on for the last 24 minutes of a 3-3 draw, and completely changes the match with every touch that he takes, playing a crucial, crucial role in all three England goals that eventually gave England the lead before a Nick Pope error fumbling the ball and allowing Germany to come away with a point. But Saka was just brilliant in this match. He, for the first goal, he made a brilliant run down the right wing for Reese James to lay a pass on. He gr- dragged two defenders towards him, laid it back for Reese James to put a lovely cross in back post, which Luke Shaw poked home. Just a few minutes later, Saka receives the ball in the right half space, takes two, three defenders on, plays a beautiful pass into a Mason Mount who's making a run into the box, who first time finishes into the top right corner to make it 2-2, and that's Saka's assist. Saka then receives the ball again on the right flank, drives forward, drives to the inner part of the pitch, plays a nice pass into the box in which an England player is taken down and a penalty is awarded for Harry Kane to poke it home. Without Bukayo Saka, England would have been embarrassed by Germany, would have been embarrassed as they already are in the Nations League, getting relegated from Group A. If Bukayo Saka does not start at right wing, you'd have to imagine Gareth Southgate is one of the biggest idiots in football managing. He has been far and away the most important attacker for England over the past 18 months. Say what you want about Harry Kane, but when Rukayo Saka is not on the pitch, England are not the same team. He needs to be the right wing, starting right winger for England at the World Cup. Phil Foden is great at many things. He is not a 1v1 right winger. In this system, the right winger needs to be able to play in the half spaces, out on the wing, as a touchline winger. He's an inside forward, a goal threat. Phil Foden is not that player. He's not the player Bukayo Saka is. My preference would be for Gareth Southgate to go to a 4-2-3-1, something that he has done once in a while and has shown England as a much better attacking team, but I don't suspect that to happen. And if that's not going to be the case, then Bukayo Saka needs to start at right wing. Going down one more level in the England ranks to the England under-21s, Fuller and Balagoon had a very nice international break where he didn't have to play too many minutes, just a total of 90 minutes over two matches, but also got to make a contribution. 
Balogun played the final 19 minutes at striker in a 2-0 win over Italy for the under-21s. Uh, just got to come on, finish the match off uh, friendly as it was. Uh, made a nice driving run into the box late in the match. Unleashed a hard and low shot that the keeper did well to get down to. But an overall nice cameo for Flo. Nice for him to get a little bit of time off after playing pretty much every match for Reims in almost every minute. Uh, and then played 71 minutes in the friendly with Germany's under-21s in a 3-1 win. And for me, he was the man of the match. He scored a fantastic goal for England's first when they were down 1-0. Uh, received the ball off of a somewhat deflected cross, kind of gathered it with his left foot, taking a touch away from the goal, reorienting his body, striking it hard with his left foot, into the post and in, unstoppable shot, and really just an amazing striker's goal. His finishing has taken such a step up. We've always known he kind of has the ability to score from weird angles, and he's a good ball striker, but he wasn't always scoring these types of strikers' goals. A lot of the time he was curling efforts or whatever it might be. These are the goals, though, that are going to help him make the step to the senior team because he can do it now when he doesn't have lots of space, and that is key for a striker, especially one who's trying to make it in the English Premier League, you're not going to find yourself in all that much space all that often. And if you can gather the ball, reorient your body, and take a first-time strike into the bottom corner, especially off the post, you're going to do well. Uh, in this match overall, he had two shots on target. He had a successful dribble, uh, 11 of 14 passing. He won five ground duels. He won his only aerial duel and was fouled four times, which, as I mentioned, has been a huge part of his game that he has added. Uh, he's really done well coming back to the ball in build-up. He used his chest really well in this game, multiple times receiving it into his chest and playing it back to a teammate for England to hold on to possession. He really provided it as an outlet, but as well as somebody who could make a run in behind and obviously score goals. Uh, people have been watching Flo this year are now questioning what is Arsenal going to do with Fuller and Balogun. That's not a problem that's a bad one to have. First of all, there are some reports coming out that Arsenal are already teeing up a second loan for him back to Reims. I think that's a little premature. I think if anything, Arsenal would like to loan him again. If they'd like to loan him again, it would probably be to a Premier League team, uh, something like what Broja did. Uh, but I, I don't even think that they've made that decision at this point. It's way too early to make that decision. We're six weeks into the season. Here's the thing. Flo is versatile. He can play as a center forward. That's where he should play. But he can play out on the left wing, similar to the way Eddie is. If we are to make Champions League, having three strikers is not the worst idea. Yes, Flo is the third of those strikers. But if an injury were to happen to Jesus or Nketiah, you don't want to be stuck with just one of them. Uh, and Fuller and Balogun is probably willing to take that chance, one year of trying to fight for his spot. And yes, there is something in getting the utmost value for him. I would like to see what his value might be like after the season, assuming he continues to score goals. But he's going to hit a wall at some point. Players do. I think he is a player who wants more than anything to make it at Arsenal, and especially in the England side. I know the United States have been after his signature to play for the US of A at this World Cup for a long time, and he has basically turned them down, uh, which to me means he's going to keep trying to fight for his spot as an England striker. And if he wants to do that, his best chance is doing that, being at a big club. We've seen it. Like, even the likes of even Ivan Tony, like, he's a great player, but he only just got his first call-up because of the club he plays for, and that's just a bias that is unfortunately the truth. I think Fuller and Balogun sees that, and if he wants to play for England, he's going to have to do that most likely by going through the ranks at Arsenal and making it there. He's still very young. People forget that because his name has been thrown around for so long because he made his debut so, debut so many years ago. Fuller and Balogun is still incredibly young, and I expect him to continue to score goals, to continue to have a great season, and then let's make that decision later on. I think, you know what? If he's valued at 40, 50 million euros, 
after the season, it's hard to turn that away. Look at Joe Willick. Joe Willick was the perfect example, right? Really highly touted prospect at Arsenal, did well in his few cameos coming off the bench or playing in the Europa League, scored some goals, looked like a good player, sent him on loan to Newcastle, and he skyrocketed. His value skyrocketed. And Arsenal made the right decision. He didn't fit the plans. He didn't fit the position that we needed him in. He wasn't a volume passer. He, he was perfect for the setup that Newcastle had. And we sold him and made a massive profit. And I don't think anyone regrets that, either the player or the coach or Arsenal or anything. It, it's worked out for both parties, and that's a possibility. I hope that won't be what happens with Flo. But you have to remember that the academy is here to do more than just provide players for the first team. It's there to provide another form of income. And Fuller and Balogun, who knows? I think they'll look to integrate him into the team. Hopefully he's willing. If not, maybe something like Chelsea did with Tammy Abraham. Maybe you sell him for £40 million with a buyback clause in two years. There's a lot of options, but it's not a bad option to have. And who knows? Eddie and Kevin might want to leave after this year if he doesn't feel he's getting enough chance of playing. I don't think that'll happen, but... It's too early to tell. There's so much more season to play, and it's not an issue to be concerned with. Continuing to work our way down the ranks through the youth system of English football, we go to Charlie Patino and Brooke Norton Cuffey, who represented England at the under-20 level. Uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey, it appears, not confirmed, but pretty obviously pulled out with just that injury, if you recall, in the match with Blackpool, actually. Uh, he went down for a few minutes, was able to play on, then played a few days later, uh, 81 minutes against Burrow wasn't a problem. Uh, so I think it was just precautionary. No reason to play um, when they had Ogioki and other players who could play in that position. So Brook Norton Cuffey did not feature for the England under-20s, but Charlie Patino did, making his debut at this level. Uh, his first match was in a 3-0 win over Chile, uh, coming on in the 80th minute. Uh, then in the second match for the under-20s, he scored his first goal uh, for England under-20s. Uh, in a 2-1 win over Morocco, he uh, corner kick rebound came out to the top of the box. He fired it low and hard. Uh, and when you do that with a crowded box, you can find the back of the net with a deflection quite often, which is what happened here. Love to see Charlie getting his first goal at this level uh, and continuing to score, right? He just scored uh, against Millwall just a couple weeks ago for his first goal in the championship. Scoring here, obviously scored on his debut for Arsenal. It's good to see a player with him, with all of his skills, also able to score. I mean, he's just an unbelievable talent, has such an intelligence for the game, knows when it picks and chooses his times to be in the box and make things happen, and he did the same here. Uh, and then he came on for the final 15 minutes of the England under-20s win against Australia. It was a 2-0 win. Uh, so he featured in all three matches, obviously a huge part of England's setup. Uh, wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year if he gets an under-21s call-up, although there are a lot of talented players at, at both of these levels. Uh, we, we'll just have to wait and see, uh, depending on the likes of, you know, Connor Gallagher and, and Jacob Ramsey. And, you know, there's a lot of players in those similar positions to his that are, are a bit of it ahead of him, a little bit older than him. So he's likely to continue to play with the under 20s. Would love to see him and Brooke Norton Cuffey play uh, together, but uh, didn't happen this time. Potentially next break. Uh, we had no Hail Enders representing the under 19s for England. But to go down to the under-17s, we had a Mario Cozier-Dewberry and Lino Sousa both featuring heavily during this break for the under-17s. Uh, I'm sorry, for the under-18s, I should say. Uh, Mario Cozier-Dewberry started against Netherlands in a 1-0 win. Uh, he came off the bench in the 80th minute uh, in a 2-1 win over Faroe Islands and then scored his first goal at this level in a 2-1 win over Belgium. 
Really nice break for him, getting to feature in all three matches. Seemed like he played mostly as a winger and sometimes drifting his inside. His goal against Belgium was lovely. Uh, he picked the ball up way out wide on the right, passed it into a center forward with his back to goal, and continued on and made his powering run into the box where he received it and finished low and hard. It's great to see that he can finish with both feet really, really well. Obviously, left-footed dom dominant, but it doesn't. He's happy to shoot with whatever foot makes sense. He does not the kind of winger or potential interior in the future who feels that he needs to get the ball into a strong foot to score. And I think for somebody who could potentially lack that little bit of physical edge in terms of his strength, that that's a huge, huge plus for him. He's not going to have to wait to hold players off to get it onto a strong foot. He's able to get a quick release, and he's a good finisher. He's a very, very good finisher uh, at this age. He, his run was very similar to Saka's. It looked a lot like goal Saka scored at the youth academy uh, and at youth levels, and, and what he still does. Well, he just you use your intelligence and your speed and your physical attributes to get into a smart position to score a goal. Uh, I think Amario has potentially could be a better finisher than Saka. Doesn't quite have uh, the strength yet, as I mentioned, but obviously Saka grown quite a bit. And Kozier Dubery really does look like interior could be where they're trying to move him. Uh, he's so skilled on the ball, so good on the turn, uh, and has that really nice first burst of pace when he makes that turn with the ball. And Lino Sousa. Started against Netherlands in a 1-0 win. Uh, was on the bench for the 2-1 uh, loss to Faroe Islands. As I mentioned, Kozier Dubery played the final 10 minutes in that loss. Uh, but then Lino Sousa again started against Belgium in a 2-1 win. I mean, these two are very young, playing at the under-18 level for England already. Uh, a step above their age group. Lino Sousa, definitely a left-back for the future for Arsenal and England. One of the highest-rated left-backs in the country at this time. Going down one more level, in the English setup, we have two of the most exciting and most talked about really young, not even scholarship players yet at the academy, Ethan Nguyenary, obviously, the, the debutant who shocked the world, and Miles Lewis-Skelly, both representing England at the under-17 level, both 15 years old. Miles Lewis-Skelly has done this already. He is really a major, major talent. Uh, Nguyenary played 84 minutes in the first match with England's under-17s and a 3-0 win over the Czech Republic. Started in the match versus Norway in a 2-1 loss and started and played 61 minutes against Poland in a 5-0 loss. Played in all three matches in a kind of attacking midfield role where he is most comfortable. And then Miles Lewis Skelly played 62 minutes in the first match uh, with England's under-17s against Czech Republic. Started against Norway in the 2-1 loss and then played the final 45 minutes against Poland. Both of them playing a lot together at every level of football right now. They're both highly touted prospects, probably the two highest prospects who are not quite with the under-18s officially yet and not scholars yet. Lewis Skelly is more of a box-to-box -box midfielder, very good physical attributes, needs to work on his strength, and he will as his body continues to grow. Obviously only 15 years old, really nice dribbling in tight spaces, likes to spray the ball, good passing range. Uh, highly suggest watching his comps if you can get a chance to, and you will get to see him feature with the under-18s this year a good amount, and hopefully make that next step up. Not quite the talent that Nguyenary is, but two very, very, very big talents. Uh, we did have some players playing for their senior clubs um, in terms of the clubs are on loan at. So Miguel Aziz really getting into a rhythm here with Ibiza. 87 minutes and a 2-1 loss to Sporting Gijon, but wow, what a performance from him. Just an absolute menace in midfield, getting in the way of passes, winning tackles, winning duels, completing passes to start counterattacks, receiving the ball in his own third, breaking the press easily, spraying the ball all over the pitch. 
Just a really, really good match from him, looking really match fit. Probably the most match fit I've seen him look since preseason of last season. So before that Portsmouth loan, that didn't go well. This is the best I've seen him look, including with the academy. 32 of 37 passing, two key passes, three of three long balls, two completed crosses. He won five ground duels. He was fouled twice, two interceptions, and three tackles. His anticipation and his reading of the game on both sides of the ball was fantastic. Many times he was... He wasn't playing as a six, keep in mind. He's playing as a box-to-box midfielder. He looked really spry, quick on the ball, up to the speed of the competition. He would try and go win a ground duel. If he didn't win it, he was back and getting in the way of the next pass. If he was getting in the way of the next pass, he was sliding onto the ball, picking up the ball, spraying the ball out to start a counterattack. He was receiving the ball off of a clearance, turning and facing his attackers and, and, and pushing the ball upfield. Progressive, not wasteful at all, only missing five passes. He was 32 of 37 passing. Just a really beautiful display from him, a commanding display, and and clearly the best midfielder on the pitch on that day. He did excellently to found outlets as quickly as possible. Passed well with both feet, which is very key. And the truth of the matter is, he is a box-to-box midfielder. Uh, The academy has spent a lot of time trying to convert him to a six. I think they see him as a potential replacement for Partey in the future. But the truth of the matter is, that's not his position. He is too good progressively as a passer. He is too smart of a player uh, in terms of his movement in the in the more attacking areas. And I just don't think a six is where his future is. Uh, he should have had an assist off of a corner kick, which he's been taking most of the corner kicks and free kicks. Attacker missed a free header at the near post. And it wasn't all just easy play by Miguel Aziz. He had a couple of really nice first-time heel flicks, other tricky passes, caught the defense off guard, Really was an excellent standout performance. He's made a complete difference in this Ibiza midfield uh, from the few matches where he subbed on and, you know, he started to kind of work his way in to the way Ibiza played in this match. He, he was, it was like night and day. Massive for Aziz. Love to see him playing regularly at, at a senior level. And this is, you know, really good start from him. Staying in that league, La Liga 2, Marcelo Flores on the bench for a nil-nil draw with Lugo which is a little concerning what's happened with his playing time, not starting matches anymore, not getting in on every single match. Uh, you know, I do think he's struggled a little bit in terms of coming up to the speed of the game. He's not every you know time he's on the ball has been perfect. He's lost possession sometimes, but he is probably one of the more dynamic and creative players that they have. And a lot of these matches, they're really failing to get into the box, failing to score goals and, and create it, it troubles me and confuses me a little to see Flores not getting this opportunity, especially since you can imagine he had suitors in other leagues and you would have thought Arsenal had a conversation with Oviedo. W- let's see what happens. Again, this is does not bode well for his chances of making the World Cup with Mexico, which I know is important to him, but so be it. Tyrese John-Jules uh, got 31 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Plymouth, which is Ipswich's first loss of the league one season. No longer... Um, unbeaten in League One. Pretty good match from John Duels physically. I thought he looked really good with his back to the goal, pinning defenders, holding up the ball well, things that he's been doing pretty well all season. He had a shot on target, nearly scored a beautiful near post goal, uh, but the goalie made a really excellent save off a deflection. John Duels kind of received the ball in the box, drove towards the byline, fired hard at the front post. The deflection almost went into the top corner. Goalie made, again, a ridiculous reflex save. Um, but you know, it, it's interesting to see John Jules play in this role. It's, you know, they lined up kind of in a three, four, three with three attackers. Uh, but John Jules really plays more as a secondary striker. 
he's not playing as like an attacking midfielder in the fact that he's not turning. He's playing a lot with his back to goal and not so much receiving the ball in the turn and looking ahead of him. But he's not playing as a sole striker, uh, so he's not the furthest man forward. But it's it's interesting to see him there. I think it, it will help him in certain areas. It's definitely helping him physically, uh, which is great to see. And it's great to see that his body is holding up. He's not getting injured. Uh, and, you know, as long as he's aggressive and willing to take shots and, and take his moments, this will be a great spell for him. And, and at the end of this match, uh, with Plymouth down, I mean, with Ipswich down to Plymouth 2-1, he had another shot in the late moments of the match that was blocked near, at the near post. Uh, and won a corner, but it's again, it's good to see him getting aggressive, but not in in bad ways. Six of nine passing in this match, two duels won, and, and a tackle won. So the physical parts, he's really gotten up to speed, and you know he's going to be in and out of the starting lineup. That just seems to be the way it is. Obviously, forty six matches in League One, it's it's a very long season. Uh, he can't start every single match. Speaking of starting matches, Tom Smith finally got to play for Bromley. We've been wondering what's going on. I think he finally either got fully fit and fully into training and match fitness, but kept a clean sheet in their 3-0 win against Oldham. And he looked great. His distribution was really solid. The long balls looked accurate. Always trying to pick out a player, not just clearing and hoofing it up the pitch. Finding guys, uh, a couple of them led to potential scoring opportunities. Covered his angles really, really well. There was a lot of shots in this match that looked like they could be close. Tom Smith had it covered, didn't get a hand to it purposely and they went just wide so it's good to see you know and kind of talked about on Kunkwo seemed to be struggling in that nature Tom Smith looked very comfortable uh and this is great I, I imagine he'll keep his number one spot here as the goalie moving forward going through our other goalies on loan Ovia Jahiri had a clean sheet against Taunton Town FC didn't have much to do in a nil-nil draw kind of a very mundane game then held a clean sheet in a one-nil win over Farnborough uh, where he made one high claim off a corner kick that would have pre- prevented a very easy-headed goal. A man got loose in the box. Ejahiri read it well and punched the ball out. He saved a penalty where he dove the right way to keep the ball out of the net in the first half. Uh, he made an early save off of a hard shot from inside the box. The first half, he was excellent. Made about five, six saves um, to keep Chelmsford City in the match. I mean, they were getting dominated in the first 45 and I think it really energized them because they came out in the second 45, controlled the ball a lot better, and ended up winning the match. And Ejahiri had very little to do. This has been a really nice spell for Ejahiri. He's been pretty much amazing or solid in every match he's played for them, which is what you love to see in relation to, again, not to put a Conquo down, but he struggled at times. He's really not adapted the way you would have expected him to. Obviously, Ejahiri a, a couple divisions lower, but it is what it is. Goalkeeping is goalkeeping. If you're keeping shots out, you're keeping shots out. Uh, speaking of Okonkwo, he played 90 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Mansfield, where he made three saves, one punch, uh, a couple of high claims, a save from inside the box. And again, his distribution has improved a lot from the beginning of the year, 21 of 33 passing. He made a really nice reflex save in the opening minutes off of a hard-whipped cross and header going right at him, kind of got his hands up quickly to push it away. He made a great shot on a save that was flying into the top corner, struck really hard from outside the box. But then... We had that issue, again, where people are shooting from outside the box a lot against him, and it was a low, hard shot. Okonko was simply too far outside of his net and didn't give him enough time to react. He, if he was a little further back in, he would have been able to get to that ball. He would have had time to react to it. I don't know, again, if this is a coaching thing. I don't recall him struggling with this at the academy level. I don't know if they want him to be more aggressive as a sweeper-keeper or what it is, but it's a little bit It's weird. It's a very weird thing. I'm going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into it, uh, especially during the World Cup era. I'm gonna we're gonna have a lot of free time then. We're gonna 
look at some things and how certain players are struggling in certain areas during these loan spells. I find it very interesting to see how going to different teams and different setups, players can learn different things for better or for worse. And I wonder if that's kind of one of those things that's happening for Okonkwo at this moment. Uh, our final few players who had stuff going on over the international break, James Sweet was called up to the Wales under 21, but then a couple days later played for Arsenal in that Papa John's trophy match uh, and then didn't feature for Wales in their U21 matches. I think, you know, I think he was called up and he kind of, my guess is Arsenal asked if they needed him, what the situation was going to be. I'm not sure he ever joined the camp, never saw pictures of him in training, but it's good to see him getting the recognition either way. Uh, Carl Hein, obviously Estonia's number one keeper and continuing to be excellent. A 2-1 win over Malta. He had one high claim, 15 of 22 passing, uh, and then a 4-0 win over San Marino where he kept a clean sheet, obviously, saved from inside the box, a punch, and 16 of 17 passing, including completing four of his five long balls. Uh, now with 16 caps for Estonia national team. He's a clear number one. They are likely to get promoted into uh, Nations League Group C, which is great for him. They'll get to play against stronger competition. I mean, it's just good to see, number one, that he's the number one for a senior national team. That's amazing. And number two, for him to get the chance to play top, you know, senior-level football consistently during international breaks uh, when he, you know, isn't getting to play so much for Arsenal as, as their number three keeper. Uh, Henry Jeffcott was called up for... Northern Ireland's under-21 side and was on the bench for both of their matches, both friendlies with Scotland under-21s. Um, in other news, Mika Beera scored for Walwick in a friendly. Now he's back to full fitness. Love to see that he scored again in a friendly and hopefully is starting for Walwick coming out of the international break. Harry Clark hopefully will be back after the international break. Uh, Mazita Gungbo still out suspended from that red card. Uh, another couple of matches for him. The Tim Akinola curse continues on the bench for a 2-1 win over Maidstone United. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like the exact same thing that happened last year. He comes in, plays 45 minutes. Everyone says he was amazing, aggressive, looked great, man of the match. Hasn't played since. I don't know what the Tim Akinola curse is, but it continues to live on. And then the most worrying thing, of course, is Omar Rekik, who has not been featuring for Sparta Rotterdam. We hoped he would feature for Tunisia. Obviously been capped by Tunisia's senior team, called up for this international break. But unfortunately, on the bench for the 1-0 win over Comoros in a friendly and the 5-1 loss to Brazil in a friendly. Expect Recky to be recalled in January. Expect him to be training with Arsenal. Whether they go to Dubai or not is unclear during the World Cup for those who don't make it, unless he's called up to the Tunisia team. I, I would think he would be, but you know, not playing either of these friendlies, not playing much for his club that he's on loan for. I mean, I feel bad for him if he doesn't get called up because he's not playing... Like, you know, it's understandable they may not call him up, but that's just so unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, that's a real bummer. I think he's a player with immense talent. Not necessarily one that will make it at Arsenal. I'm not saying he will or won't. Hard to tell when he hasn't been able to make that step to senior football. Uh, he has to kind of get that consistent run of games to see if he can get those mistakes out of him, get his awareness up, his, his understanding of, of defensive spaces up. So uh, again, I expect a recall... And I, I would potentially loan him to a different era of a DC team. I think that's a great league for him. Uh, but that's what we've got for the international break. A lot of action coming over the next month. As I mentioned, October is going to be insane. Match every three days for Arsenal. All these teams have tons of matches with the World Cup break going on. So look out for that. Look out for more coverage. And thank you for listening. We will see you next week.